Chapter Nine, Part One of The Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Well, that's about all, then, I guess, said Gretry at last, as he pushed back his chair and rose from the table. He and Jadwin were in a room on the third floor of the Grand Pacific Hotel facing Jackson Street. It was three o'clock in the morning. Both men were in their shirt sleeves. The table at which they had been sitting was scattered over with papers, telegraph blanks, and at Jadwin's elbow stood a lacquer tray filled with the stumps of cigars and burnt matches together with one of the hotel pitchers of ice water. "'Yes,' assented Jadwin, absently, running through a sheaf of telegrams. "'That's all we can do, until we see what kind of game Crooks means to play. I'll be at your office at eight. "'Well,' said the broker, getting into his coat, "'I guess I'll go to my room and try to get a little sleep. "'I wish I could see how we'll be tomorrow night at this time.' "'Jadwin made a sharp movement of impatience. "'Damnation, Sam, aren't you ever going to let up croaking? "'If you're afraid of this thing, get out of it. "'Haven't I got enough to bother me?' "'Oh, say, say, hold on, hold on, old man,' "'remonstrated the broker in an injured voice.' "'You're terribly touchy sometimes, Jay. Of late, I was only trying to look ahead a little. Don't think I want to back out. You ought to know me by this time.' Uh, "'There, I'm sorry, Sam,' Jadwin hastened to answer, getting up and shaking the other by the shoulder. "'I am touchy these days. There's so many things to think of, and all at the same time. I do get nervous. I never slept one little wink last night.' "'And you know the night before I didn't turn in until two in the morning.' "'Lord, you go swearing and damning round here like a pirate sometimes, Jay,' Gretry went on. "'I haven't heard you cuss before in twenty years. Look out now, that I don't tell on you to your Sunday school superintendents.' "'I guess they'd cuss too,' observed Jadwin. "'If they were long forty million wheat, and had to know just where every hatful of it was every second of the time.' It was all very well for us to whoop about swinging a corner that afternoon in your office. But the real thing, well, you don't have to trouble keeping awake. Do you suppose we can keep the fact of our corner dark much longer? I fancy not, answered the broker, putting on his hat and thrusting his papers into his breast pocket. If we bust crooks, it'll come out, and it won't matter then. I think we've got all the shorts there are. "'I'm laying particular for Dave Scannell,' remarked Jadwin. "'I hope he's in up to his neck, and if he is by the great horn-spoon, "'I'll bankrupt him, or my name is not Jadwin. "'I'll run him bone-dry. "'If I once get a twist of that rat, "'I won't leave him hide nor hair to cover the wart he calls a heart.' "'Why, what all has Scannell ever done to you?' demanded the other, amazed. "'Nothing.' But I found out the other day that old Hargus, poor old broken-backed, half-starved Hargus, I found out that it was Scannell that ruined him. Hargus and he had a big deal on, you know, oh, ages ago, and Scannell sold out on him. Great God, it was the dirtiest, damnedest treachery I ever heard of. Scannell made his pile, and what's Hargus now? Why, he's a scarecrow. And he has a little niece that he supports. Heaven only knows how. I've seen her, and she's pretty as a picture. Well, that's all right. 
I'm going to carry 50,000 wheat for Hargus, and I've got another scheme for him, too. By God, the old boy won't go hungry again if I know it. But if I lay my hands on Scannell, if we catch him in the corner, holy suffering Moses, but I'll make him squeal. Gretry nodded to say he understood and approved. I guess you've got him, he remarked. Well, I must get to bed. Good night, Jay. Good night, Sam. See you in the morning. And before the door of the room was closed, Jadwin was back at the table again. Once more, painfully, toilfully, he went over his plans, retesting, altering, recombining his hands full of lists of dispatches and of endless columns of memorandum. Occasionally he murmured fragments of sentences to himself. Hmm. I must look out for that. That can't touch us there. The annex of that nickel-plate elevator will hold, let's see, half a million. If I buy the grain within five days after arrival, I've got to pay storage, which is, uh, let's see, three-quarters of a cent times eighty thousand. An hour passed. At length, Jadwin pushed back from the table, drank a glass of ice water, and rose, stretching. "'Lord, I must get some sleep,' he muttered. He threw off his clothes and went to bed, but even as he composed himself to sleep, the noises of the street and the awakening city invaded the room through the chink of the window he had left open. The noises were vague. They blended easily into a far-off murmur. They came nearer, and they developed into a cadence. Wheat, 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 wheat. Jadwin roused up. He had just been dropping off to sleep. He rose and shut the window and again threw himself down. He was weary to death. Not a nerve of his body that did not droop and flag. His eyes closed slowly. Then all at once his whole body twitched sharply in a sudden spasm, a simultaneous recoil of every muscle. His heart began to beat rapidly. His breath failed him. Broad awake, he sat up in bed. Mm he muttered. That was a start. I must have been dreaming, surely. Then he paused, frowning, his eyes narrowing. He looked to and fro about the room, lit by the subdued glow that came in through the transom from a globe in the hall outside. Slowly his hand went to his forehead. With almost the abruptness of a blow, that strange, indescribable sensation had returned to his head. It was as though he were struggling with a fog in the interior of his brain. Or again it was a numbness, a weight, or sometimes it had more of the feeling of a tight, heavy-drawn band across his temples. "'Smoking too much, I guess,' <clears throat> murmured Jadwin. But he knew this was not the reason. And as he spoke, there smote across his face the first indefinite sensation of an unnamed fear." He gave a quick, short breath and straightened himself, passing his hands over his face. "'What the deuce?' he muttered. "'What does this mean?' For a long moment he remained sitting upright in bed, looking from wall to wall of the room. He felt a little calmer. He shrugged his shoulders impatiently. "'Look here,' he said to the opposite wall. "'I guess I'm not a schoolgirl to have nerves at this late date. High time to get to sleep.' if I'm to mix things with crooks tomorrow. But he could not sleep. 
while the city woke to its multitudinous life below his windows, while the gray light of morning drowned the yellow haze from the gas jet that came through the transom, while the early call alarms rang in neighboring rooms, Curtis Jadwin lay awake, staring at the ceiling, now concentrating his thoughts upon the vast operation in which he found himself engaged, following out again all its complexities, its inconceivable ramifications, or now puzzling over the inexplicable numbness, the queer dull weight that descended upon his brain so soon as he allowed its activity to relax. By five o'clock he found it intolerable to remain longer in bed. He rose, bathed, dressed, ordered his breakfast, and, descending to the office of the hotel, read the earliest editions of the morning papers for half an hour. Then, at last, as he sat in the corner of the office, deep in an armchair, the tired shoulders began to droop, the wearied head to nod. The paper slipped from his fingers, his chin sank upon his collar. To his ears, the early clamor of the street, the cries of newsboys, the rattle of drays, came in a dull murmur. It seemed to him that very far off a great throng was forming. It was menacing, shouting. It stirred, it moved, it was advancing. It came galloping down the street, shouting with insensate fury. Now it was at the corner, now it burst into the entrance of the hotel. Its clamor was deafening, but intelligible, for a thousand, a million, forty million voices were shouting in cadence, Wheat! 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 Jadwin woke abruptly, half starting from his chair. The morning sun was coming in through the windows. The clock above the hotel desk was striking seven, and a waiter stood at his elbow, saying, "'Your breakfast is served, Mr. Jadwin.' He had no appetite. He could eat nothing but a few mouthfuls of toast, and long before the appointed hour he sat in Gretry's office, waiting for the broker to appear, drumming on the arm of his chair, plucking the buttons of his coat, and wondering why it was that every now and then all the objects in his range of vision seemed to move slowly back and stand upon the same plane. By degrees he lapsed into a sort of lethargy, a wretched counterfeit of sleep, his eyes half-closed, his breath irregular. But, such as it was, it was infinitely grateful. The little overdriven cogs and wheels of the mind, at least, moved more slowly. Perhaps, by and by, this might actually develop into genuine, blessed oblivion. But there was a quick step outside the door. Gretry came in. "'Oh, Jay, here already, are you?' Well, Crooks will begin to sell at the very tap of the bell. He will, huh? Jadwin was on his feet. Instantly the jaded nerves braced taut again. Instantly the tiny machinery of the brain spun against its fullest limit. He's going to try to sell us out, is he? <laughs> All right, we'll sell too. We'll see who can sell the most, Crooks or Jadwin. Sell? Yeah, you mean buy, of course. No, I don't. I've been thinking it over since you left last night. Wheat is worth exactly what it is selling for this blessed day. I've not inflated it up one single eighth yet. Crooks thinks I have. Good Lord, I can read him like a book. He thinks I've boosted the stuff above what it's worth, and that a little shove will send it down. He can send it down to ten cents if he likes, but it'll jump back like a rubber ball. 
I'll sell bushel for bushel with him as long as he wants to keep it up. Heavens and earth, Jay, exclaimed Gretry with a long breath. The risk is about as big as holding up the Bank of England. You are depreciating the value of about forty million dollars worth of your property with every cent she breaks. You do as I tell you. You'll see I'm right, answered Jadwin. Get your boys in here and we'll give them the day's orders. The Crooks affair, as among themselves the group of men who centered about Jadwin spoke of it, was one of the sharpest fights known on the board of trade for many a long day. It developed with amazing unexpectedness and was watched with breathless interest from every produce exchange between the oceans. It occupied every moment of each morning's session of the Board of Trade for four furious, never-to-be-forgotten days. Promptly, at half-past nine o'clock on Tuesday morning, Crooks began to sell May wheat short, and instantly, to the surprise of every pit trader on the floor, the price broke with his very first attack. In twenty minutes it was down half a cent. Then came the really big surprise of the day, Landry Court the known representative of the firm which all along had fostered and encouraged the rise in the price appeared in the pit and instead of buying upset all precedent and all calculation by selling as fiercely as the crooks men themselves for three days the battle went on but to the outside world even to the pit itself it seemed less a battle than a rout the unknown bull was down was beaten at last he had inflated the price of the wheat, he had backed a false and artificial and unwarrantable boom, and now he was being broken. Ah, Crooks knew when to strike. Here was the great general, the real leader who so long had held back. By the end of the Friday session, Crooks and his clique had sold five million bushels, going short, promising to deliver wheat that they did not own, but expected to buy at lower prices. The market that day closed at 95. Friday night, in Jadwin's room in the Grand Pacific, a conference was held between Gretry, Landry Court, two of Gretry's most trusted lieutenants, and Jadwin himself. Two results issued from this conference. One took the form of a cipher cable to Jadwin's Liverpool agent, which, translated, read, buy all wheat that is offered till market advances one penny. The other was the general order issued to Landry Court and the four other pit traders for the Gretrid Converse House, to the effect that in the morning they were to go into the pit, and, making no demonstration, begin to buy back the wheat they had been selling all the week. Each of them was to buy one million bushels. Jadwin had, as Gretry put it, timed crooks to a split second, foreseeing the exact moment when he would make his supreme effort. Sure enough, on that very Saturday, crooks was selling more freely than ever, confident of breaking the bull ere the closing gong should ring. But before the end of the morning, wheat was up two cents. Buying orders had poured in upon the market. The price had stiffened almost of itself. Above the indicator upon the great dial there seemed to be an invisible, inexplicable magnet that lifted it higher and higher for all the strenuous efforts of the bears to drag it down. A feeling of nervousness began to prevail. 
the small traders who had been wild to sell short during the first days of the movement began on monday to cover a little here and there now declared jadwin that night now's the time to open up all along the line hard if we start her with a rush tomorrow morning she'll go to a dollar all by herself tuesday morning therefore the gretry converse traders bought another five million bushels the price under this stimulus went up with the buoyancy of a feather the little shorts more and more uneasy and beginning to cover by the scores forced it up even higher the nervousness of the crowd increased perhaps after all crooks was not so omnipotent perhaps after all the unknown bull had another fight in him then the outsiders came in to the market all in a moment all the traders were talking higher prices everybody now was as eager to buy as a week before they had been eager to sell the price went up by convulsive bounds crooks dared not buy dared not purchase the wheat to make good his promises of delivery for fear of putting up the price on himself higher still dismayed chagrined and humiliated he and his clique sat back inert watching the tremendous reaction hoping against hope that the market would break again but now it became difficult to get wheat at all all of a sudden nobody was selling the buyers in the pit commenced to bid against each other offering a dollar and two cents the wheat did not come out they bid a dollar two and a half a dollar two and five eighths still no wheat frantic they shook their fingers in the very faces of landry court and the gretry traders shouting a dollar two and seven eighths a dollar three a three and an eighth a quarter three eighths a half but the others shook their heads except for extraordinary advances of a whole cent at a time there was no wheat for sale at the last name price crooks acknowledged defeat somewhere in his big machine a screw had been loose somehow he had miscalculated so long as he and his associates sold and sold and sold the price would go down the instant they tried to cover there was no wheat for sale and the price leaped up again with an elasticity that no power could hold he saw now that he and his followers had to face a loss of several cents a bushel on each one of the five million they had sold they had not been able to cover one single sale and the situation was back again exactly as before his onslaught the unknown bull in securer control than ever before but crooks had at last begun to suspect the true condition of affairs and now that the market was hourly growing tighter and more congested his suspicion was confirmed alone locked in his private office he thought it out and at last remarked to himself somebody has a great big line of wheat that is not on the market at all somebody has got all the wheat there is i guess i know his name i guess the visible supply of may wheat in the chicago market is cornered this was at a time when the price stood at a dollar and one cent crooks who from the first had managed and handled the operations of his confederates knew very well that if he now bought in all the wheat his clique had sold short the price would go up long before he could complete the deal he said nothing to the others 
further than that they should uh, hold on a little longer in the hopes of a turn but very quietly he began to cover his own personal sales his share of the five million sold by his clique foreseeing the collapse of his scheme he got out of the market at a loss it was true but still no more than he could stand if he had held on a little longer in the hopes of a turn there was no telling how deep the bull would gore him this was no time to think much about obligations it had got to be every man for himself by now end of chapter nine part one